This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, March 10th. I'm Matt Hoish. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, county talks STRs. The gondola turns 25. People, places, spaces, faces, and postcards at AHA. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, we all have budget numbers in our head. The monthly Netflix bill, cable TV, your cell phone, and even what you might spend on beer and food at any festivals this summer. Create your Kodo budget now and invest in this essential service. Go to koto.org to donate. And thank you. San Miguel County is turning its attention to short-term rentals. According to Assistant County Manager James Van Hoosier, there are 34 active SDR permits in unincorporated parts of the county. Uh, for a little bit of context, there's approximately 2,500 short-term rentals in the towns of Telluride and Mountain Village. So the, uh, the number of short-term rentals in the unincorporated county is, um, you know, it's a drop in the bucket. Van Hoosier spoke during a Board of County Commissioners work session this week. But he adds there are more properties listed as STRs, with estimates ranging from roughly 60 to 140. And those numbers may increase. Here's County Planning Director Kay Simonson. We have seen a very significant uh, uptick in people seeking uh, rental permits. I think it's because we're getting a different type of owner that understands that getting an actual permit is a thing that you do. Probably some of our biggest violators are people who have been here for 20, 30, 40 years. Lots of people, Simonson adds, have been asking about using their properties for retreats and events. The County Planning Commission, she says, plans to discuss a possible code amendment for those uses that could take shape over the next few months. When it comes to regulations, safety is one concern for the BOCC. Here's Commissioner Hillary Cooper. If you're renting out your home, no matter how long, to another entity, That is a business, and there are certain regulations that are required for business. If people are going to walk into a business, you want to ensure that they're going to be safe walking into that business. So we're allowing people to walk into homes, rent homes, um, and we need to ensure, um, in fact, I think we're statutorily obligated to ensure some level of safety. Getting a county STR permit already requires a safety inspection from the building department, but Cooper wants to review land use codes and standards to further ensure safety. Simonson notes the county has clamped down on the number of people staying in units. She also points to an instance in which someone who complained about the condition of a unit didn't know how to get a hold of the local contact. You know, there should be a big sign right there, right by the door that says, if you have a problem with this unit, call this number. And that that, that person's got to be able to respond very quickly. Um, they can't be 10 hours away or say, well, gee, I'll find, see if I can find a, a plumber to come you know, fix the, the gushing water leak. Data is another question. The BOCC is in support of doing a data scrape to better pin down the number of short-term rentals in the unincorporated county. Here's Commissioners Cooper and Lance Waring. I think that information would be really valuable. Without that data scrape, we are going to have a hard time making any real decisions. So I'd like to prioritize that. Commissioner Chris Holstrom also wonders whether the county should limit the number of SDR permits in certain areas, but doesn't think that's a decision the commissioners should make unilaterally. I feel like certainly on Rights Mesa, potentially that would be a joint work session because um, we haven't had a, an update on the, the master plan when we did the Rights Mesa master plan, and I think there's a lot changing in Norwood, um, and I think that would 
that would be my recommendation is if we're going to do anything like that, that we talk to the community itself and not make decisions without talking to the community. Transparency is another big concern. County GIS Director Heather Widland has developed an app showing the locations of permitted STRs in the county with names and addresses. The app isn't public. Commissioner Cooper notes there are efforts to get more data from platforms such as Airbnb and adds it's important to keep some information confidential while also allowing the county access to it for compliance and safety purposes. Uh, we need to have that uh, those addresses available to um, emergency services and emergency response because there is a difference in responding from, to um, an emergency call from a resident uh, who is familiar with the reason to responding to a um, visitor, and that can ca- that can be very problematic to emergency services. No final decisions were made at this week's work session on how the county will regulate the growing interest in short-term rentals in unincorporated parts of the region. 25 is a big year. It's easier to rent a car. You have one year left on your parents' health insurance. You're a quarter century old. 25 is something to be celebrated. And this weekend, the gondola is doing just that. The gondola officially opened on November 19th, 1996. And we are just so excited that we can gather and celebrate truly one of the most iconic forms of public transportation in North America. That's Catherine Warren, public information officer for the town of Mountain Village. This Saturday, Mountain Village will celebrate 25 years of the gondola with a party at the conference center. We have a band performing. It is, uh, they are billing themselves as Telluride's newest mid to late 90s tribute band, and they're called Gravity's Child, a very clever play on words from the gondola, the theme of the event. And it is a mid to late 90s tribute band comprised of Sean Mahoney, Megan Knowles, Claybrook Penn, and Leah Heidenreich. And those musicians are so much fun together. With a killer band, there will of course be dancing, a custom cake featuring a miniature gondola system, food, a champagne toast, and a gondola cabin photo booth. And then we will be unveiling the newest color, the newest gondola cabin that uh, will be commemorating this 25th anniversary, similar to the Red Cabin from our 20th anniversary. There will also be a short film about the gondola, and finally, a poem from former San Miguel County Poet Laureate, Diva Chisones. She actually moved to Telluride in the 90s to be on the crew that built the gondola. And so she will be sharing a new poem that she's written about the gondola. And um, she's allowing me to share that the title is called The Splice of Life, which is a play on words with um, splicing the cable together on, on lists and gondola lines. The 25th anniversary of the gondola comes as the region is considering what the next 25 years and more will look like. The current gondola funding and operation agreement ends in 2027. We really want to pause and say, this is what the gondola means to our community, and then also um, do that in tandem with looking to the future of how do we continue to have uh, amazing service provided to the community. In addition to the festivities, representatives from the gondola planning process will also be on hand to provide information about the system and help individuals fill out a survey to determine what they hope to see the future of the gondola look like. 
Since its opening in 1996, the gondola has seen more than 55 million passengers. Roughly 3 million individuals ride the gondola each year. The 25th anniversary celebration for the gondola will take place on Saturday, March 12th at the Conference Center in Mountain Village, starting at 6 p.m. Postcards, says Chris Kwasniewski, are a dying art. I love postcards. First of all, getting any type of actual physical mail is such a wonderful and magical experience. And there's a little bit more care that goes into a postcard than an email. It's a, it's a really lovely way to kind of touch base with someone uh, without immediately expecting a response. So it's a very giving um, medium. Kwasniewski is the exhibition's programmer at the AHA School for the Arts in Telluride. And her latest exhibition is somewhat of an effort to revive that dying form with a local twist. I asked anyone and everyone to send me photographs of Telluride, their favorite photographs of Telluride, um, all sorts of things in Telluride. People, places, spaces, faces, everything that really spoke to what they think Telluride means to them. Over 350 submissions came in. Kwasniewski chose 25 of those pictures and printed them as postcards, 125 cards for each image. And I picked 25 that I thought would really speak to the vast majority of people. So we have some really interesting photos that I think will resonate with people who've been here for, you know, a month to 20 years, 30 years even. Those blank cards are now on display for people to do what you'd normally do with a postcard, write on it. The idea, Kwasniewski says, is to connect people. Both people who live in town and are connecting with other people who live in town, or people who live in town and are connecting with people who've moved away, or vice versa. Everybody, she says, has memories of Telluride. Everybody's got a story about the bean, or the buck, or the 4th of July, or something. So it's a great way to jog those memories and kind of prompt people to, to write about or to connect with someone that is involved in that memory. As for what the images on the postcards are, well, there's a range. There's a photo of the pond skim from a number of years ago up in Mountain Village, the last day of the ski season. There's a photo of the valley cows, which some people may or may not remember. A man in the 1970s skateboarding down a dirt road main street. The gay pride uh, vehicle in, I believe it was the 4th of July parade. The men without rhythm. There is a photo of the old steaming bean. This is to the ghost of the steaming bean, a.k.a. El Frijole. You took me in on my first day in Telluride 10 years ago. You gave me a job, a purpose, and kept me weird. This bean babe is so grateful for this home. XOXO. There's a photo of a mine burn. Mud butts. And their creations for one of the parades. Show bar at the Sheridan. There's a photo of bluegrass from the late 1990s. O-Town Park, love how you are the same and so very different. Keep on keeping on. There's a photo of the free box and how many people you can fit into each of those containers. The Women's Rights March that happened about two, three years ago here in Telluride. A friend of mine who was a woodsy ghost town at its prime. I wish you were here to experience the best avocado bread in the world before it disappeared. Old steaming bean from the 1950s. Shakedown Street. Glider Bob on the 4th of July with his head painted like the American flag. Dear Glider Bob, we miss you, your bare legs, and your communitarian spirit, Bob. Love everyone. All the DJs at Kodo outside the Purple House on Pine. Door is always open. A voice is always there. Someone to take your call. 
Hear your stories, play your song. You are never alone when your dial is set to KOTO. A back shack that a friend of mine used to live in, Balloon Fest. What used to be the National, but now is the Buck. Hey, right, it's the pot of gold and the rainbow. Nowhere more magical than here. I do think, for better or worse, Telluride has changed really significantly, um, not just over the last 50 years but or five years, but over the last two years. There's been a lot of shifts in Telluride, and we've lost a lot of really wonderful people who've chosen to move on or have lost their housing. Um, we've gained a lot of new wonderful people who've just moved to town. There's this constant flux in Telluride, this ever-changing ebb and flow of the Telluride community, and uh, I, th- I think there's something to gain from listening to the stories of all of those people. It's been a really uh, magical, funny, heartbreaking, wonderful experience to be able to read everybody's messages to uh, different experiences and places and faces in Telluride, and I just, I want more. And who can argue with a free postcard? The AHA exhibition, Wish You Were Here, Postcards to Telluride, Past and Present, runs through the end of the month. After which, if you put an address on your postcard, Kwasniewski says she'll mail it. AHA is also partnering with the Telluride Historical Museum for a free Telluride History pub quiz on Tuesday, March 29th at the Strong House from 6 to 8 p.m. The winning team gets a private historical tour of town. And a special thanks to the members of the Kodo family who read the anonymously written postcards from the exhibition. Claybrook Penn, Radalicious, Turner Kilgore, Kara Pallone, The Flying Pharaoh, and Ben Kerr. There's always time for a tune in Telluride. Once again, this weekend is full of local music ventures. On Friday, Danny D'Alessandro will play in Heritage Plaza from noon to 4 p.m. The Gold Kings will take the stage at the Phoenix Bean from 6 to 8. Reno Divorce and Punk Socks will be playing at O'Bannon's starting at 9 p.m. And Barakatunga will grace the Sheridan Opera House stage at 9 p.m. Saturday, Bob Heminger will play Heritage Plaza from noon to 4, and You Knew Me When will play an apres ski at the Transfer Warehouse from 3.30 to 5.30. Trout Steak Revival will be at the Sheridan Opera House at 9 p.m., and Reno Divorce and Punk Socks will be back at OB's. Saturday, we'll see Pancho Bachelor at Heritage Plaza from noon to 4, and a Transfer Warehouse apres ski with Michael Tobin from 3.30 to 5.30. Looking for more information on local live music? Check out KOTO's live music calendar at koto.org. The call of a greater sandhill crane used to be a rare sound in Delta. But over the past two decades, that's changed. Historically, greater sandhill cranes in the Rocky Mountains have summered in northwest Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and Utah heading south to Arizona, New Mexico, and Mexico for the winter. But now, a population of cranes have been wintering in the Delta and Montrose area. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is trying to learn why. Last month, CPW, in collaboration with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, captured 13 birds, placing GPS transmitters on some and colored lug bands on others. CPW hopes by tracking the birds over the next several years, 
In addition to data collected from birds wintering in more traditional areas, the department can help the animals maintain a strong population. According to CPW, greater sandhill cranes currently have a stable population, but their numbers have declined due to hunting and habitat changes. Cranes are some of the oldest living species on the planet, with fossil records dating back 9 million years. The cranes that migrate through Colorado are the largest of the North American sandhill cranes. They can stand 4 feet tall, with a wingspan up to 7 feet wide. Hundreds of people traveled to the state capitol on Wednesday to weigh in on a bill aiming to protect Colorado's unrestricted access to abortion. Democratic sponsor Denea Escar says the measure is a response to other states passing laws limiting the procedure. No one should have their most personal medical decisions controlled by politicians like us, neighbors or complete strangers. But that's exactly what's happening across the country. Republicans are opposing the bill, but lack the votes to stop it. The bill's first hearing was interrupted a few minutes after it started because a spectator started shouting and had to be removed. Democrats on the committee advanced it after hearing 13 hours of testimony. Colorado is asking law enforcement agencies to donate body armor and ballistic helmets to send to Ukraine. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. Governor Jared Polis says the equipment will save Ukrainians as they fight to defend their country. He says it will be delivered quickly after a Monday donation deadline. Only police departments are being asked to donate. Similar body armor drives are happening around the country. As the war intensifies, Colorado is willing to house Ukrainian refugees. It is also divesting more than $7 million of its pension fund from Russian banks after Polis announced plans to sever the state's business ties with the country. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. Looking to include your dog more in mountain biking? There's a growing sport that could be for you. It's called bike drawing, and it's like dog sledding without the snow. Justin Higginbottom visited a race in Moab to hear about the hobby and pet a few dogs along the way. It's a windy day at the Klondike Bluffs just north of Moab, and a German short-haired pointer named Lark is at the starting line. She's wearing a harness attached by Bungie to her owner's mountain bike. And she's antsy, a bit like a sled dog that can't wait to start pulling. Five, four, three, two, one. And she's off, taking her owner and race partner barreling down the track. Today is the second day of the country's first ever single track bike jaw race. So bike jaw racing is where you strap a mushing, like a sled dog onto the front of your mountain bike and race as a team. Brad Casting is an avid racer and organizer of today's event. He lucked into the sport after adopting a sled dog from a kennel in Minnesota. Casting is a mountain biker and heard of this way to include his new friend in the hobby. No idea what it was. I was super skeptical. I never imagined that you could have a dog that just stayed ahead of the bike, much less pulled you the entire time. And from day one, it was just so much fun. And yeah, we've been doing it since four years now. Today's race is unique. Competitors are racing on a single track trail instead of a wider path or road. Before this weekend, organized single track races were only found in Europe. The, the sport is definitely changing to be more inviting to people who are looking to challenge their own technical skills more. So it's, it's definitely on the way up. And Moab is known for single track mountain bike trails. The area could be perfect for the sport. 
Here's another racer, Sarah Casing, Brad's wife. The average speed on a trail like this, like I was going about 13 to 14 on average on a trail like this. Um, Brad was probably, you were probably going 14 to 15 today. Way to go, girl! Come on, girl, way to go! And here comes Lark into the finish line. She looks wide-eyed, manic, and very happy with her time. The true rock stars, especially in Europe, are what are called gray stars. So they're mostly a German short hair pointer with a little bit of greyhound. Um, some might have even a tiny bit of Alaskan husky mixed in, or even pure German short hair pointers, um, especially in Europe. Like those are the true rock stars of the sport. There's a range of dogs among the half dozen or so competitors here. Most basically look like your average house dog. One small pooch with a stud collar looks like he spends his non-racing time on his owner's lap. The BLM is out today monitoring the event just because it's the first of its kind in the area. So when Rocky Mountain Sled Dog applied for the permit, you know, it was new to us, so we wanted to see how it worked. And before we wrote the permit, we'd never seen it, of course, but we did. I did watch it on video. I watched quite a few videos. That's Katie Stevens of the BLM. She says the dogs and humans stayed on the trails, and participants cleaned up after their dogs. And these people are really into their sport, as you can see, and really into their animals. So, you know, it's it's that's one of the functions of public land, is to provide a venue for the public to enjoy their their land. And um, this is another sport that I, uh, we can provide that venue for. There was at least one local that voiced a concern over the treatment of the dogs here. Organizer Brad Casing says he's had complaints like that before. He says they come from those not too familiar with the sport. It is a very safe thing. You know, if you train a dog, they understand very well how to participate safely with you. For example, the animals respond to voice commands, and at the end of the day, he says it's hard to make a dog pull you well on a bike if they don't want to. And sometimes people will get a dog for this, you know, it might even come out of, out of racing lines, and some dogs are just not into it, and those dogs don't end up being, you know, mushing or bike short dogs, they just become bike buddies. So, yeah, that's the other thing I want people to know, is that, like, every dog that's doing this that's racing is a dog that wants to be out here racing. Today, at least, these dogs seem like they wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Justin Higginbottom for Rocky Mountain Community Radio. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for cloudy skies tonight with scattered snow showers and a low around zero degrees, with wind chill as low as negative 15 degrees. Friday, expect sunny skies behind the mid-20s and wind chill as low as negative 15 degrees. Friday night should be mostly clear with a low around 10 degrees. Saturday calls for sunny skies with a high around 40 degrees. Saturday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low in the mid-teens. This has been the news for Thursday, March 10th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our winter fund drive. A huge thank you to Bobby Pearson, John Adolph, Dustin Clements, Amanda Baltzley, Trisha Intiman, Drew Ludwig, Marty Wollison, Mark and Terry Zollard, Joan May, Jessica Newins, David and Deborah Cohen, Tina Church, Kelly Potter, Brian and Jill Anderson, Pillar Flournoy, Mary Beth Mueller and Jonathan Tuckman, Amy Levick, Alexis Brown, Russell Clark, Jill Wilson and her husband Sam, Mike Balzer, Ann Husky, 
Julie McNair, John and Connie Greenberg Rosemont, Kyle Kohler, Tynes VR, Wendy Lawler, John Levine, Judy Craddock, Tracy Emmond, Michelle Foley, Maureen Ellison, Chuck Hugenberg, John Foote, Michael Mowry, Chris Hazen and Kathy Jepson, David Burns, Mike Mayer, Tara Carter, and Meredith Rose. Thank you all so much. 